Last fall, students across the country skipped school to march against inaction on climate change. The movement was inspired by Greta Thunberg, the Swedish teenager who launched worldwide student climate strikes. And right outside our studios on the grounds of the Minnesota State Capitol in St. Paul, thousands of young people showed up to march as well. It's like I'm taking a whole day off of school to show you that I do care about this and that we should be learning about it. From APM Reports, this is Educate. I'm Stephen Smith. Today we're talking about what kids actually learn about climate change in the classroom. Some of the students at the protest in St. Paul said they don't spend enough time on climate change in school. We learned some about it, probably not enough though. Yeah, they mostly talk about the general subject of climate change. They don't really talk about how humans have affected it. That right it. Yeah. Climate change is about real life, and yes, you learn things that are valuable at school, but it'd be much more. Uh, worth it to learn about real things and actually things that we can change right now. There is no federal mandate to teach climate change. There is a set of voluntary standards that states and districts can choose to adopt, but less than half of states have done so. More than a dozen states don't have any language in their science standards about human-caused climate change. Carolyn Preston is an editor at the Heckinger Report. She's been looking at whether and how climate change is being taught in classrooms across the country, including one in Piedmont, Oklahoma. She talked with our producer Alex Baumhart about what she learned about how teachers are tackling climate change in a state where the science itself faces political challenges. What did you know about Piedmont as a town before you got there? I didn't know much about Piedmont as a town before I arrived. I connected with Melissa Lau, who is a sixth-grade science teacher there, and had chatted with her on the phone and had been intrigued by the work that she's doing. Piedmont is a bedroom community outside of Oklahoma City. A lot of people there work in the oil and gas industry and in agriculture. It's a middle-class community. And Melissa, who is from a rural part of Oklahoma, has been really committed to teaching climate change, even in this that obviously um, climate change is more controversial than it is in some other places and parts of the country. And in Melissa's sixth grade classroom at the intermediate school in Piedmont, what was happening? How was was she teaching it? She was teaching a lesson um, from the National Center for Science Education, which is a nonprofit organization. And she was explaining to students through this lesson the relationship between more carbon in the atmosphere and extreme weather events. So today and tomorrow, we're going to be doing um, a quick climate change lesson. That's Melissa Lau in class talking to her students. So let's start, though, with a little question here. There's a comment, weather is chaotic. Weather is chaotic. So what does that statement mean to you? If weather is chaotic... Next, Lau passed out dice and explained that each roll would indicate a release of carbon into the atmosphere. Students would keep track of every number they rolled. So, um, here's what I want you guys to think about. The dice represents the weather. Okay, dice are like weather, where a six is an extreme event. Okay? One through five is just like normal weather. After many rolls, they had a long series of numbers written down. They could count the number of times six had come up and start to measure frequency and look for patterns. Preston says the point was to see the weather the way scientists do. To show them that scientists really need to look at weather and 
weather patterns over time. You can't just point to one snowy day and say, aha, climate change is not happening. Preston says sometimes this puts teachers like Lau at odds with politicians in the state. Every year in Oklahoma, there's a bill or two that pops up that would arguably make it more difficult for teachers to teach climate change. One of the ones that's popped up a couple times and did so last year, although it died in committee, I believe, would have encouraged teachers to sort of teach both sides of this, um, to kind of teach the controversy of scientific theories when, with climate change, there's an overwhelming consensus um, that it's occurring. A state agency in Oklahoma even funds teacher trainings and materials on fossil fuel industries. They have a series of online kids' books with a central character named Petro Pete. It's nighttime in Petroville, Oklahoma. And Petro Pete is in bed, catching up on some reading. Repeat, I didn't realize that so many items I use every day are made from oil and natural gas, said Pete. What sorts of standards or guidelines exist for teaching climate change in Oklahoma? So in 2013, a coalition of states rolled out some new science standards called the Next Generation Science Standards. And they give teaching climate change a little bit of a boost. And Oklahoma has an adapted version of those standards. The Next Generation Science Standards, or NGSS, are a voluntary framework of recommendations for teaching science. They were created by teacher representatives from 26 states in collaboration with the National Research Council, the National Science Teachers Association, the American Association for the Advancement of Science, and a nonprofit organization called Achieve. They lay out what students should know in the sciences at different grade levels, and they include recommendations for teaching climate change. Matt Krebel is director of science at Achieve, and he helped create the standards. The last time that sort of a multi-state effort happened um, was the mid-90s um, with the National Science Education Standards. According to the Next Generation Science Standards, lessons about climate change occur around middle and high school. I asked Krebel, why wait till then? A lot of the data that's actually around uh, climate change is um, pretty abstract, because you're talking about, when you talk about something like an increase in the average temperature across the globe, first of all, you're, you're thinking about the concept of average, which is a mathematical thing that students aren't really addressing super early on in elementary school. Um, you're also talking about something that's not just your average temperature over the day, but it, or over average temperature in a particular area, but actually the average temperature over the entire globe. And then you're talking about looking at that data over very long periods of time. And so in that context, you're trying to make sure that the concepts that you're talking about are developmentally appropriate for kids. Today, 20 states plus D.C. have fully adopted the next generation science standards. Others, like Oklahoma, have embraced a modified version. Overall, 37 states recognize human-caused climate change in whatever science standards they've set. That's according to the National Center for Science Education. Still, it's hard to know entirely whether and how it's being taught across the board. As with any sort of large-scale systemic change, the, the degree to which that actually plays out in the classroom is always sort of uh, a little bit hit and miss because you're trying to do uh, sort of the outreach and support to thousands of teachers and tens and thousands or hundreds of thousands of students or billions of students, as the case may be. The modified version of the Next Generation Science Standards that Oklahoma uses 
is missing some important context. It's more ambiguous as to the causes of climate change and the human role in causing climate change than some other states and then the next generation science standards themselves. So it does talk about the warming climate, but it's not as explicit as some other states. The next generation science standards provide a framework for what should be taught, but curriculum and materials are largely left up to districts and individual teachers. Preston found that across the country, teachers are trying to catch up. So textbooks are kind of far behind, I'm told. There's not a lot about climate change in most science textbooks, but there are more online resources popping up for teachers to use. There's one at a Michigan State University called Carbon Time that teachers I talked with were excited about. And one of the interesting things is that this is a topic that teachers in English, teachers of social studies, art, um, can start to engage students on um, beyond just science educators. Melissa Lau, the teacher in Piedmont, Oklahoma, we heard in class earlier, has been teaching climate change for four years. It took on a sense of urgency when she earned a spot on a month-long trip with other teachers and with climate researchers to Alaska's North Slope. It was there that she saw firsthand what was happening with snow and ice melt, changing vegetation, and animal migration. I think that was my crystallizing moment, like, oh my gosh, like this is happening and it's accelerating. You know, so what am I doing in my personal life? And then what am I doing? What more could I do to help? Um, What conversations can I have with them? Lau has made it a point to teach other teachers across disciplines how to teach climate change. She says for many, they're just trying to get their footing. And things are constantly changing. We're understanding more and more, it seems, each day about um, the effects of climate on on our planet. And um, I think teachers sometimes feel overwhelmed, especially if they haven't really been following the conversation of climate change for the last you know, 20 years. They might feel overwhelmed jumping into it at this point um, because there's just so much out there. And then how do you decipher what's good and what's not good, what's quality and what's you know, something I should not be using as a credible source? At Piedmont, students learn about climate change in science and social studies. In science class, Lau sees it as her responsibility to make sure students know that the science around climate change is settled. Because I know that in social studies, they're going to be talking about the economic issues. They're going to be talking about um, the things like the migration, uh, forced migrations and things like that of people. Um, and I, we try to explain to them that in science, we don't debate the science because the science is settled But in social studies, there might be more area for debate as far as what's the best route that a a government might take to mitigate the uh, the issues that are that their people are facing. Um, You know, how do they uh, figure out what um, what solutions to start with first and, and prioritizing that? I asked Lau if she's gotten any backlash from parents for teaching climate change, especially since many of her students have parents who work in oil and gas. She says she hasn't gotten much, and that when it happens, it's easy to say, hey, listen, we have to teach this. It's part of these national standards we adopted. As long as it's in our standards and we are holding true to our standards, then they're absolutely supportive. And since this is in our standards, you know, we get a lot of, you know, backup from our building and uh, district level administration on this. 
She says she's also careful about how she presents information. Many of her students have relatives who work in oil, gas, and agriculture. And some of her relatives do too. You know, I have family who works for the fossil fuel industry. I have family that is still in, the, uh, still in agriculture. Um, they're, you know, they raise cattle, they grow wheat. Just making sure it's very clear that, you know, I'm not attacking, you know, your dad or your mom, your dad or your mom. They're like, they're not bad people <laughs> just because they happen to work for Devon or for Chesapeake. You know, they're supporting your family. I asked if her students know about Greta Thunberg and if any of them participated in the youth climate strikes. I can think of maybe like one or two kids that participated, perhaps. It just, yeah, with this age group, I think if I said, you know, if I mentioned Greta, there might be, there might be a few kids that know who she is, um, but those are going to be our more globally-minded kids. Caroline Preston says that for many students, Lau's class is the first time they really learn about climate change. I talked to a bunch of students, and it was a mix. A few of them really didn't know anything about climate change before this lesson. Some of them did. Some of them knew something about it, but were pretty blasé about it. Others thought it was a bad thing that was happening, but they weren't too concerned. And I actually spent a couple days in the classroom. This was a two-day lesson, and some of them, by the end of that second day, felt more upset about what was happening. They felt like they understood it better, so... They could see the negative consequences of it more clearly, and, and they were more worried. And in the case of one student, even um, like pretty angry about society's role in this. She says it's hard to drive home the urgency of the issue in a place like Oklahoma. The immediate effects of climate change aren't as visible as they are in other places in the country. She asked students about this. Are you worried about climate change or not so much? It kind of depends because I feel like if we were here, it gets hot like in summer, like anyway. Is it something that you think about a lot or not really? Not really. It's not something I think about because to me it's not that big of a problem yet. Unless we just, it's not that big of a problem unless we just do nothing. 1,600 miles away from Piedmont, Oklahoma, in Oakland, California, students are much closer to the immediate impacts of climate change. This past fall, fires took off across the state. California is on fire, and the worst is still to come. The governor of California declaring a statewide emergency as those potentially historic winds fuel multiple wildfires. Just an hour south of one of those fires is Hillcrest Elementary, a K-8 school in Oakland. All right. Um... How was your weekend, guys? Noah Canton teaches science at Hillcrest. In the midst of the fires, school was canceled for a day. And when students came back, he asked them what they knew about what was going on. Why were you without power? Why were the winds the way they were? Why are there fires? Why is the air so awful these days? What do you guys think, Ishan? Um, So the grasses are so dry these days because California itself does not get enough rain. Pressure also has to do with heat. Um, So since climate change is heating up the world, it might also affect winds. Basically, all these fires, like, they're natural, but the rate we are having them is not natural. Canton is not just talking with students about climate change because of the fires. He teaches climate change all the time. He decided when he started working here eight years ago that he had to teach it. I was nervous to teach climate change science. Um, because I didn't think I was supposed to. There wasn't a framework or a curriculum around it. 
The next generation science standards didn't exist yet, so he had to come up with his own lessons. He still starts off each year the same way. I ask the students, what do you, what do you think about when you hear the words climate change? And so we write out a bunch of phrases and words, and that's where we start. And what kind of answers do you get? Well, I get things like polar bears, um, ice caps melting, um, sea level rising, uh, ozone layer, which is a little, a little different. Today, the Oakland Unified School District and California as a whole have adopted the Next Generation Science Standards. For lessons, Canton leans on projects and curriculum from environmental organizations and universities that he can use in the classroom. There, there is some amazing stuff out there to help teach students. There's a, a group of professors and scientists out of San Jose State, and they've put together a curriculum called Green Ninja. And so I'm supplementing my um, lessons with their curriculum In one Green Ninja lesson, students research a topic in climate change and present their findings in videos like this one. 20% of the water used in California is from the processing, packaging, cleaning, and transportation of water. By using less water and using your water more efficiently, you can greatly reduce your carbon footprint and help save the environment. Then students compete for best video. It's called the Green Ninja Film Festival, where students learn uh, actual filming techniques So um, they combine NGSS with storytelling and climate change to make three-minute films that um, attempt to educate others on um, climate chaos and what we can do about it. One thing the Next Generation Science Standards don't outline for teachers, how to help students grapple with what they're feeling when they learn about climate change and impacts like animal extinctions, coral reef die-offs, and rising sea levels. I had a parent tell me that their child had a hard time sleeping at night because of, because of what she had learned about climate change. Um, the, I, I felt terrible about it, and it made me realize, okay, this is a um, delicate situation here. So as an antidote to some of the doom and gloom, Canton holds Fridays for Future in his classes. At the end of each week, they do something that makes them feel like they can be a part of changing the tide. We have more of a hands-on, sort of direct action type day. So um, over the years, we've done things. You know, we became a ocean guardian school through a a National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration um, project. Through that, they got funding for some solar panels and an energy monitoring system at their school. Other Fridays, they'll collect trash and turn it into something reusable. Students have taken, you know, they'll collect uh, plastic water bottles and they'll turn them into pieces of art, like planters, uh, sub-irrigated planters. Um, Students have taken plastic bags and um, turned them into plarn, like plastic yarn or pling, plastic string, and they they finger-weave them into fashion accessories or bags. And they're basically saying, "We, um, we don't want this plastic getting into our oceans or getting into our watershed, our um, going into the landfills, and they understand the science as to why it's important to keep these things out of there. This past fall, inspired by Greta Thunberg, students from Noah Canton School decided to go to San Francisco for the youth climate strike. Canton and more than a dozen other adults and teachers went along with them. To be able to take them out to a, 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 a climate strike is just... Um, like I said, transformative. It was magical to see some students out there. I've got a student who 
typically doesn't say much in class, um, has a lot of, a lot of academic challenges, um, kind of hangs out under the radar, doesn't want to be called on. But um, when we were out at that march, I looked behind me and he was on a megaphone chanting the, you know, these call and response chants and a hundred people all around him were doing it back with him. And it, it oh, I almost broke down crying, <laughs> tears of joy. It was fantastic to see. So when, um, when, when we're not supposed to get too quote unquote radical with students, when we're not, when we're not supposed to take them to, to protests or marches, when they're not supposed to speak up because that's political, which we're not supposed to do, when we're not supposed to talk about um, capitalism as fueling climate change, that's challenging. Um, but isn't it just straightforward common sense that if these students, and what's the point, to quote Greta, what's the point of going to school right now if there might not be a future later on? What's the point of getting an education right now if people in power aren't listening to the educated? Uh, earlier today, I, I told the students I'm going to be on a podcast about teaching climate change. Do you guys have any pointers for me? One of my students said, you know, why not teach it? To not teach it is to rob students. Um, because on one hand, kids are expected to sort of fix this problem because it's something adults are saying, oh, you know, technology will fix it. Or by the year 2050, we expect to have zero, you know. It's all future-based or, or technological quick-fix-based. Um, but who's going to be doing that if that were the case? Well, it's the kids. That's it for this episode. Tell us what you think. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Educate Podcast. Or you can send us a note to contact at apmreports.org. And you can find the reporting from Carolyn Preston on teaching climate change in Piedmont, Oklahoma at heckingerreport.org. Alex Baumhart and Chris Julin produced the podcast. This episode was mixed by Veronica Rodriguez. We partner with the Heckinger Report, a nonprofit independent news organization focused on inequality and innovation in education. Support for APM Reports comes from Lumina Foundation and the Spencer Foundation. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM. <laughs>